Have you ever been asked to do something by somebody that you know is just beyond you? We well, you know what happens in those kind of situations, right? You start making excuses. You know, with my son, Pierce, he's six, and sometimes I'll just kind of tease him and I'll ask, hey, Pierce, you know, we're putting the dishes away. Can you put that away? And he'll say, dad, that's, that's way too tall. I can't reach. And I'll say, okay, let me help you. Or sometimes we'll be in the kitchen and I'll say, hey, Pierce, can you make dinner? He says, dad, I'm, I'm too young. I don't know how to make dinner. And so I'll say, all right, all right, I'll help. And then sometimes it'll be another situation. I'll say, hey, Pierce, can you clean your room? You say, dad, I'd rather be playing outside. At least he's honest, right? Well, it's not just kids. We all have those times in our lives where we're asked to do something and we look and we think that's just beyond us. And so we start making excuses, sometimes valid, sometimes selfish. And we even make excuses to God. You know, we're not the only ones though, as we'll see this morning in the life of Moses. He was wandering around Midian, tending sheep, thinking he was a nobody, thinking that he has blown his shot at actually impacting people. And then God showed up, called Moses to deliver his people. And Moses, well, he knew that was just beyond him. And so the excuses they started flowing. I want you to see it this morning. We're going to begin with this incredible introduction when God introduces himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. Hope conquers fear. Let's go ahead and dive in. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, the day had probably started off like any other day for Moses. He'd just been driving sheep, feeding sheep, tending to the sheep, taking his occasional break. Verse 1 kind of highlights the routineness of it all. Just a vanilla-flavored day. Moses going about his business the same way he always had, just tending sheep out in the fields. There was nothing about that day which would have led Moses to expect that a supernatural encounter with God was about to take place. But perhaps as Moses was maybe shaking some sand out of his sandal or maybe freeing a sheep from a briar patch, he notices something. This glimmer just catches his eye. He sees this bush, just the bush, on fire. But this bush, it burned and burned, yet it just did not 
consume. It didn't just burn out. And you know, it was interesting because in those days in, in Midian, it wasn't totally uh, out of the ordinary for a bush to spontaneously erupt into flame. Moses, he might have seen this phenomenon maybe a dozen times in Midian. But this was different because the bush just didn't seem to go out. And so you can imagine Moses kind of scampering up the slope to get a closer look, seeing what's going to happen. But after all, this was just a bush. It was a common bush. There was nothing supernatural about this bush, just your everyday normal bush. And you know, that reveals something about God, doesn't it? That God often uses just the ordinary, common, everyday experiences of life, and he will use them in uncommon ways to get our attention. That's how God speaks to us most often, isn't it? It is through his word and through the ordinary, everyday experiences of life. It's rare that he uses the loud claps of thunder, the big bolts of lightning. God usually calls us in the midst of just ordinary circumstances. You know, it's as if God tries to see that in this small, ordinary circumstance, will you be faithful with that? Will Moses turn his attention to this small thing? How sensitive would Moses be toward these seemingly insignificant things in life? Because you know, God does not call Moses until Moses gives his attention to this small, seemingly insignificant thing. You know, Jesus would, would later say it, that if you're faithful with a little more will be given to you. More responsibility will, given, will be given to you. And isn't that the lesson that we try to teach our kids? I mean, it's a lesson we all have to learn, isn't it? That if you're faithful with a little, well, that leads to bigger responsibilities. If you're faithful with small responsibilities, it leads to bigger responsibilities. And so Moses, he's, he's faithful. He turns to look. He's going to check things out. And then it is at that moment that God calls to Moses. Moses probably didn't know who the voice was coming from. He just sees this bush. He hears this voice, God calling him by name, Moses, Moses. And you can imagine, Moses is probably a little tentative at that moment. He just says, well, here I am. And then God tells Moses, hey, Moses, you need to consider the place where you're standing to be holy ground. Not that it was morally pure or anything like that, but it took on this special significance because God was speaking to Moses there. In God's supernatural presence, it turns the ordinary into extraordinary. This is actually the first use of the word holy in the entire scripture. And out of reverence, Moses removes his sandals. He obeys God. He listens as God introduces himself to Moses. And can you imagine how Moses must have felt in that moment? I mean, Moses has spent the last 40 years of his life wandering around in Midian for all those years, all those years wondering if because of his recklessness, he had blown any opportunity, any chance of actually impacting people. You know, all those dreams that he must have had as he was raised in the palace and he was learning the skills of, of leadership, how to lead armies, and he was learning how to navigate the legal processes of Egypt. He knew that he was becoming a leader. But now, for the last 40 years, he knew he was nobody. He knew what kind of failure he was. And so when God spoke to Moses, well, Moses hid. He hid his face. He couldn't look. He was, he was afraid to look at God at that moment. But you know what? God kept communicating. 
God didn't leave. He kept communicating, telling Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen the affliction, the oppression that they're living under their taskmasters, and I have come. He's, I have come to deliver them. He's reassuring Moses over and over and over again, saying, I've never stopped caring. I've never stopped working. But at the same time, Moses, he must have felt so much joy in that moment to know God hasn't stopped. He's still present. He still cares. He's still working. And yet at the same time, he must have also wondered, well, that's great, God, but why are you telling me? I'm like the last person you should tell. I'm out in Midian. You need, you need to go tell the people in Egypt that you're coming to deliver them. Why are you telling me? And then the answer comes. And God says to Moses, because I've chosen you. I've chosen you to lead my people home. I've chosen you to go straight to Pharaoh and to bring my people out of Egypt. And after 40 years of Midianite obscurity, Moses finally receives this communication from God, this commission to return to Egypt. And what an opportunity for Moses. I mean, this is his chance now to kind of redeem himself in a sense and show that he is a faithful, true servant of God. But Moses, he's not jumping at the chance because if he's learned one thing in these last 40 years, it's this, he's a nobody. He, he can't do this. He's, he's been beaten down by the fact that he is a failure. And you know, the nice thing about God is, God's a God of second chances, isn't he? Even when we run ahead of his plan, even, even when we retreat after we failed, God still returns to call us back into his service. Moses, well, he knows I'm not the guy. Moses is full of excuses for why he's a nobody in Midian. He isn't the man to lead the people out of Egypt. But God, he continues to patiently communicate with Moses. I want you to see it. Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 22, will kind of pick up these excuses that Moses will give and God's patient replies to his servant. It reads, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. 
and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask for her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. You know, Moses had spent the last 40 years of his life, like we said, just living in exile, living in quarantine and obscurity out in Midian. And that's a long time to live in the shadow of your failure. That's a long time to, to just stay there and to know that you're inferior, to know that you're incompetent. You're reminded day after day after day that you're a nobody. Oh, Moses, he learned that lesson well, that without any warning, then this God, he shows up and he speaks to you after you've learned this lesson that you're nobody for 40 years. And he says, I'm going to choose you to go back to Egypt and lead my people home. Oh, it sounds so simple. But Moses knew there, there's nothing simple about this plan. There, there's nothing simple about going to the, back to the place where you've blown it the worst you've ever blown it in your life. There's nothing simple about going back to the place where the king of Egypt previously had wanted you dead. There's nothing simple about going back to the place where even the people you tried to help, the people you tried to deliver, wanted nothing to do with you. There is nothing simple about going back there. And yet here is God saying, I've chosen you, Moses, to go back to Egypt and to lead my people home. To do what you tried to do when you were younger, but you failed at so miserably. I mean, Moses, if he knew one thing, he knew this. He was not the man for this job. If it would have been 40 years ago, if God would have showed up 40 years ago and said, hey, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, he would have jumped up and said, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm so glad you asked. Let's go. And he would have marched on ahead without even thinking. But these long 40 years had taught him one thing, that he was a failure. He was not the guy for this. But you know what? God wasn't asking Moses' opinion on the matter. God wasn't concerned with what Moses thought. God simply said, go and do. These are the plans I have for you. This is the commission I have for you. This is what you're to do, Moses. Problem was, Moses seemed to think that God wanted him to be Israel's deliverer. See, Moses thought that it all rested on him. But do you remember what God said when, even when he first introduced himself to Moses? He said, I've heard the cries of my people. I've come. I've seen the oppression they're living under. I've come to deliver them. Moses would simply be his instrument. Moses is not the ultimate deliverer. God would be the deliverer. But full of fear and misunderstanding, I mean, Moses resists. And he's offering up these excuses. And you know what? It can be the same with us, can't it? God might call us to go back to that place of failure, back to that place where we really messed it up royally to impact people. And you know how it is, because you know what happened the last time, and so you start thinking, God, I'm not the guy for this. I'm not the woman for this. I, I can't go back to that place because you're afraid. And it, it, it brings up all these painful memories. You know, God tells Moses the same thing that he tells us, and that is, you're not alone. You don't have to go back to that place alone. Isn't that what Jesus said? I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so this is the lesson that God's teaching Moses. I'm going to be with you. You don't have to do it alone. And it, he's also teaching Moses the same thing he's trying to teach us. And that is the question is not so much, who are you? But who is with you? 
You know, we, we can look at ourselves just like Moses looked at himself and he thought, man, if I'm the deliverer of this nation, I can't do it. I know myself. I'm inadequate. I'm, I'm incompetent. I, I can't do this. And we look at ourselves too and we think the same thing. We're, we're just out hanging with the sheep just like Moses because we know ourselves and we think I can't do it. But the lesson that God is trying to teach us, just like he was trying to teach Moses, is it's not about who you are, it's about who is with you. God even makes this promise to Moses. He says, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt and you're going to bring them back to this mountain, this very mountain, and you're going to worship here. It's the mountain of, of Horeb, also called Mount Sinai. And God was making it clear to Moses, this is going to happen. This is the sign, Moses. You're going to know this, it's going to happen. But Moses, he's looking at himself still, and he distrusts himself thoroughly. He knew he wasn't up for that. He, he knew what these last 40 years had taught him tending the sheep. He knew he was a failure. And we look at ourselves too, and sometimes we think that, you know, we're failures. I, I, I can't add anything. How am I supposed to disciple someone? How am I supposed to evangelize? How am I supposed to serve? How am I supposed to love? How am I supposed to pray for other people like this? How am I supposed to do it? And God shows up and he says, it's not so much who you are, it's who is with you. I'm going to help use you to make disciples. I'm going to turn you into a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We distrust ourselves and so we distrust God and we think, no, nah, I don't see that happening. That, that's not me. There, there's, there's men and women much more qualified who you could use in much more powerful ways. You know, don't let your personal distrust keep you from trusting God. God can do incredible things through you. He wants to. He's made you for a purpose, for a reason. Moses, he's about to resist big time. He's going to offer up excuse after excuse after excuse. Five of them, in fact. We're going to look at the first two this morning. We actually already kind of have looked at the first one. But the first two excuses this morning. Moses first says to God, he says, who, who am I that I should lead the Israelites? I mean, why, why are you choosing me? His first excuse is, I'm insignificant. I, I'm, I'm insignificant for this task. I'm not the guy you need. But you know what? I think that's exactly the attitude the guy was looking for. Because if Moses would have said, you know what, God, I'm sure glad you finally got around to asking me. You know, after 40 years, I've been waiting for you to show up and let me go back. I'm the guy. Let's go. I think if Moses would have had an attitude like that, God might have said, I don't think you've learned the lessons of Midian yet. How about another 40 years in the desert? Now, we all know what this feels like, though, don't we? When somebody asks you to do a task that you look at and you say, I am not qualified, I am not capable, this is beyond me. Why, why are you asking me? I mean, who do you think I am? I, I can't do this. And so this is how Moses is feeling. And maybe you look around at places where you live, work, study, and play, and you think, who am I that I can make disciples here? Who am I that I can impact people here? And you're thinking, why me? Why, why are you calling me to this place? I, I can't do it. God patiently replies to Moses, and he does the same thing with us. He replies to the, this, this attitude of insignificance, and God says, I'll be with you. He didn't say, shame on you, Moses. Moses, why are you thinking this way about your, yourself? You, you need to like build up your self-esteem. Get it together, Moses. You really are somebody. He didn't say anything like that. He says, Moses, I will be with you. Your strength is going to come from me. When you are weak, then 
you'll be strong. And doesn't Jesus say the same thing? That apart from me, you can do nothing? You see, our strength comes when we are in Christ. We are resting in Jesus. And then we're able to have an impact far beyond what we could even imagine. But in terms of our own ability, our own wisdom, our own efforts, our own ministries, they all amount to exactly zero when we try to do it in and of ourselves. It's what Jesus said. You can have zero eternal impact when you're trying to do it by yourself. See, God's response to our fear of insignificance is his presence. He says, you don't have to do it alone. It's not about who you are. It's about who is with you. His response to our insignificance is his presence. And Moses hears all this and he's thinking to himself, okay, okay you're going to be with me, but you could be with a lot of people. I mean, I'm still not the guy. I mean, if you were with that person or that person or that person, they could probably do it a whole lot better than I could. I mean, look at me. I'm out sh tending sheep here in the desert. I'm, I'm not the guy. And so then he offers up excuse number two. He says, oh, okay, God, suppose I go back to Egypt and I tell the people, hey, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they say, what's his name? What am I supposed to say? I don't even know what I would say. See, this is an excuse of ignorance. Moses is saying, I don't have all the answers. I, how am I going to respond to these people's questions? I don't have all the answers. And we think the same thing too, don't we? How am I supposed to go disciple people? How am I supposed to evangelize? How am I supposed to impact people? They're going to ask me questions about Jesus and I don't know all the answers. I don't even have all the questions. How am I supposed to do this? God, I'm, I'm too ignorant to be able to really impact people the way that other people could. I mean, you need to choose that person or that person. They're, they're Bible scholars. They've got the answers. Me, I, I, don't, I don't even have all the questions. We know this excuse all too well. But the ignorance Moses is getting at, it isn't so much the name of God. You know, the Israelites, they already, they already had a name for God. They, they called him Elohim, the divine one. They, they called him the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They could talk about God. They had names for him. It wasn't so much the name of God as it was, what does the name of God communicate to his people? What, what they needed to know after years of living in bondage and suffering is what is the nature and character of God? Well, what does the name of God reveal about his nature and character? Was he a God of the past only? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, but a God who had forgotten about his people in the present? I mean, what could he do? So the question that Moses is in effect asking is, is God, is there something that I can even point to in your name that would demonstrate that you're able to help in circumstances like this, that you care right now? Is there even something in your name that reveals your character? Because I don't know what I would say if the people asked me. I don't know how to respond to a question like that. And again, just like last time, God responds patiently and this time very thoroughly. He begins by saying, I am who I am. God reaches way back into Genesis chapter 2 and uses a name that was revealed way back then. And it's the name Yahweh. It means in Hebrew, I am. He's making this declaration in this name that he is a constant God, a self-existent God, a God who is, and he's also communicating to his people that he's an ever-present God, always with them. He is 
the great I am. And so he says this, and then he goes on to say, you know, I remember that covenant that I made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. This is a promise that I had made, and it is a promise I will keep. I am going to deliver the people out of Egypt, back to this land of promise, a wonderful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great, but I will make, I will make this happen. Because I have given this mandate and so I will make a way. See, God's presence is not this passive presence where he merely observes what's going on and he kind of sees it from a distance. No, he's not a far off God at all. He is an actively present God, redeeming, listening, sending, making a way for his mandate to be fulfilled. God's response to our ignorance is his character. God's response to our ignorance is his character. And you know what? That is so comforting because it tells us that we don't have to know all the answers. We don't even have to know all the questions. We just have to know God. And isn't that how it is with people? I mean, you don't have to, none of us know the details, every last detail of anybody. There's always things that we don't know, but we know people well enough to say, I can talk about them. I can, talk, I can talk about the loved ones in my life because I know them. And then if somebody says something to me about them, I say, well, that doesn't quite sound like them. I, I don't know. And we're able to stand up for their character. We're able to vouch for them because we know them. And this is how it is. We vouch for the character of God. If you know God, you're able to talk about him. Why? Because you know his character. Can you answer every question? Maybe not. But we're learning, we're growing, we're deepening the relationship. It's like the blind man, you know, they're trying to ask him all these theological questions about Jesus. He says, I don't have all the answers to all your theological questions, but I know this much. I was blind and now I can see. See, he's able to talk about the character of God. Even with this, Moses still wasn't convinced. He'd offer up more excuses to why he wasn't the guy, why he couldn't be the one to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And God would patiently answer each of his questions. He was trying to teach Moses that, hey Moses, when I give a mandate, I'm going to make a way. That, hey Moses, I'm able to take the weak and make them strong. And Moses, you got to trust me because I'm the one who's ultimately going to be the deliverer of my people. It doesn't rest on you, Moses. It rests on me. And when Moses finally learns those lessons, well, fear will give way to hope. And after all, hope conquers fear. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of second chances. That even when we've blown it, you don't give up on us. That you continue to use us. So God, use us in a mighty way this week to impact people for your glory. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.